We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning. We're looking at the last few verses of this chapter, verse 18 to 23, just a short chunk. Um, Paul is, is kind of gathering up the little threads that he's been laying out of his argument. This is kind of like a preliminary conclusion, or maybe if you're at Walmart and you ask tech, the checkout girl to subtotal it, this is kind of like, where are we at right now before we move ahead into the rest of his argument? That's kind of what Paul's doing here in this little paragraph uh, before he moves into chapter 4, and um, let's read it. Verse 18, he says, let no one deceive himself If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or the life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Now, all along, Paul's been talking about the root problem. They had forgotten the gospel message, the The message itself communicates a humility, and that humility was absent from their politicking. They had felt like they had matured beyond the milk, but they really still needed the milk of the gospel, learning how to apply humility to all their relationships. And and so, in reality, they still needed that milk. They needed the humility that the the cross communicates. And their pride had actually caused them to become instruments of division, and they were becoming self-deceived in the process, and they were thinking themselves wise when they were actually being foolish. They thought that they were strong when they were really sickly. It wasn't a pretty sight. And division never, never glorifies God. It never projects the worth of, of God. And in these verses, some of these themes, we've seen them a little bit before, but now Paul is turning, he's he's actually turning now more to the divisiveness again more directly, and says that the wisdom, the wisdom that they thought that they had acquired was now causing the church to appear foolish to God. Because that self-promotion is a faux-wisdom. It is a pseudo-wisdom. It is not real. It's fake. It doesn't deliver the goods that it promises, and it gives this appearance of success as, as, as people rival and jockey for leadership in the top, and, but in the end, pride, pride destroys. Self-deception comes, and pride destroys in the end. And in this little paragraph, Paul is saying, look, no, true wisdom always sides with God. True wisdom always looks like how God is. And if God says that the humility of the cross is wisdom, then we ought to say and be in agreement with what God calls is wisdom. 
And so, therefore, here, he's coming to this crescendo, he's coming to a conclusion that the humility of the cross is true wisdom, so get on board with it. Get on side. And in this text, he gives three reasons, three reasons why we ought to side with this true wisdom. Three, three reasons. The first two look a little bit negative, but in the last reason, he gives a very positive a very positive uh, reason why we should embrace the wisdom of God in the humility of the cross. And the first reason I see in verse 18 that uh, self-deception is real and it's destructive. It's very easy, even if you have the Holy Spirit in your life, to become deceived. All along, Paul has been saying, look, you are Christians, you have the Holy Spirit, you're believers, but you're not acting like it right now, so the implication is is that you could potentially be deceived even though you have the Holy Spirit residing within you. And when we substitute a worldly wisdom of self-promotion, if we do that, we've got to understand that while we're doing that, we're grieving the Holy Spirit and we're also deceiving ourselves. See how he he says here in verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he's wise in this age, let him become a fool uh, that he may become wise. It's important for us to pause here and think carefully about what Paul is saying. Don't think that you can incorporate the philosophies and values of this world as if those choices are somehow not related to how things will go in your life. It will have a detrimental impact upon you, and it will also have an impact upon the church itself. You know, there are a lot of worldly philosophies that sound really good on the surface because it appeals to our inner drives and needs, things like the self-esteem movement that projects that you are potentially the center of your world. Becoming self-actualized and finding the true you is not the wisdom of the cross. It sounds great, but it is so easy to be deceived. This couple weeks ago when we were, had ERM here, Many of you are a lot like myself. We were driving a lot. We were um, doing lots of driving, and early in the week, I put a bag of garbage in my trunk. And uh, that was Monday, and gradually by the end of the week, I suddenly remembered that I had a bag of garbage in my trunk because it became, became very easy to detect this odor, this smell, and, and, and it, was, it was horrible. You know, I got rid of the bag of garbage, but that rancid smell was still there. And it was actually getting more and more fragrant. What I didn't realize was that that bag had had a can of cat food in it, the soft and meaty kind. And the meat had started to rot. And as it softened, it dripped through a slight tear in the bag and it made itself a nice little spot in the trunk liner of the carpets. 
Now, cat food smells fishy anyway, but can you imagine what rotting cat food smells like? Can you smell it? Well, after I couldn't smell it, I couldn't take it any longer. You know, I, did, I, had, I had this little vial, this little uh, spray thing sent, and it was that new car smell. I, I thought that I could cover up that smell. And I put new scent all through, all through it, but the smell was still there. And after another day or two, I braved myself up to open up the trunk and see what was in there. I was so afraid that I was going to see maggots all the way through my trunk liner, and thank the Lord I got there before it had turned. I pulled out the liner, threw it outside, sprayed that as well, and I got this, you know, the foaming stuff that you, 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 you foam it, foamed it all out, and got it out. You know, the boys were driving with me and said, Dad, what is this smell? And they were actually referring to the new scent, new car scent. And uh, I think I probably could have been charged with a chemical weapons violation after that. And now you're asking yourself, well, what in the world does this story have to do with deception? Even people who have the Holy Spirit in their lives, in their lives can be self-deceived into thinking that if they simply output more good smell that it will therefore make up for the bad smells. That's actually the wisdom of this world. It's a performance-based view of spirituality. So if I am jealous and I'm creating strife, all that I need to do is just do better, do more for God. I'll show everyone that I'm okay But what you don't realize is happening is that you're boasting about your own worth, which stinks. The word boast is actually used in this text in verse 21. It's the word kakachyo. Doesn't that sound nasty? It's a great word picture because it sounds like someone who's clearing their throat. It's a repulsive sound. And what a great picture! Boasting by word or action is an unpleasant sound. It's an unpleasant smell to everyone around you. The problem is is that everyone smells it but you. How is it possible that it could get that way? It's because when you notice it, you start to excuse it. It's not that bad. You deceive yourself, and you spray on more new car scent. But you've got no idea how disastrous that is because what you're doing is you're hardening the heart. Your pride is covering over sins for which Christ paid for. And you're justifying yourself as if, oh, I'm not that bad. I'm basically good. And isn't that what people say when they reject the gospel? Oh, I'm not that bad. I'm okay. In Matthew 7, verse 22 to 23, Jesus said, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
If you're a participant in creating division within the church through excusing jealousy and strife and anger and raw ambition, you're trying to cover up the smell of hell with your pathetic musk. Your only hope is to humble yourself at the foot of the cross. Paul's saying here, don't kid yourself. This self-deception is not only real, it's also destructive. In another place, Galatians 6, 7 through 8, Paul said, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Corruption is the end result of wisdom that promotes your wretched self. It will destroy you. Sowing to the Spirit is siding with God's wisdom. It says this bitterness, this anger, this resentment is the smell of hell, and I've got to exchange it for the aroma of Christ. I need Christ to purge my soul, to clean me and make me new. That's the humility of the cross. That's the first reason I I believe that Paul's getting at here. Don't be deceived. God looks at your wisdom and says, that's stupid. It's not going to end well. Second reason that Paul gives here is that God will outsmart you every time. Verse 19 to 20. Another reason to adopt God's wisdom is really the sheer logic of it. You try to cunningly avoid God, God is going to use your cunning to ensnare you. Paul quotes two texts here to back up his thoughts. In verse 18, excuse me, verse 19, it says, For the wisdom of God is folly with God, for it is written. He catches the wise in their craftiness. This is from the book of Job. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. And this is also from Uh, This is also from the Old Testament. It's from the book of Psalm 94, verse 11. Let's consider each of these quotes just individually for a moment. The first, coming out of the book of Job, really, if I could phrase it in another way, it's kind of like the, it's like a victory disease. A victory disease. That's a technical term. It's a term that was actually applied by the Japanese to why they lost World War II. They had become arrogant and complacent, and they had spread out all of their resources through all the little islands to great extent, assuming that they were going to be victorious, and their pride destroyed them. The victory disease ended in a catastrophic defeat The Battle of Midway in 1942, where four aircraft carriers were sunk. Their foolishness, their wisdom, their pride had led them to their own destruction. They were caught in it. But no country is immune to it. We can look back and think about how how that was a helpful thing for us, but at times we have also been guilty of this as well. It happened to us in the Korean War. General Douglas MacArthur invaded the Korean 
Peninsula. He pushed back the northern military powers, and there was like such little resistance, he assumed that he could push them all the way to the Chinese border. And he found himself caught by his own pride at the Chosen Reservoir, surrounded by two million Chinese coming through the mountains. They played. He played right into their plan. God will use our pride to be our own undoing and our own punishment. Proverbs 26, 27 says, whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. You mark it down. When we are filled with pride, God will use that pride to destroy us. All he has to do is just step out of the way, and we'll destroy ourselves. God knows our heart. This is the second quotation here. He knows the heart of every human being. The very root of our motivation and our ambitions. This is the basis of Psalm 94.11. You try to cover up your sin, your sin will find you out. God will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. That's coming up in chapter 4. God is the one who knows the heart. And so, to this point, Paul is, is, is communicating the necessity of siding with God's wisdom because it truly is wise. The humility of the cross is true wisdom. And so, he's gathering up these strings, and now he's, he's moving into a third reason here at the end that is, that is I, I phrased it a little bit negatively, but don't get fooled by that. There's an amazing uh, a positive reason here for siding with God's wisdom. Verse 21 to 23, he switches gears and he says, like, you know, your narrow vision of life is really too narrow. Verse 21, so you've been boasting in men? That's really narrow. You're picking sides with particular leaders and you're aligning yourself with this one versus that one and your, your, your viewpoint's way too narrow. So, in verse 21, he says, So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and yours are Christ's and, and Christ's is God's. He just like zooms way out. You know, he's saying, look, don't be satisfied with men. They're like grasshoppers. They're like grasshoppers compared to the one who sits upon the ark of the world and looks down upon it all. You're boasting in mere men. Come on. Your narrow vision is just too narrow. Paul is talking like Isaiah in Isaiah 40 Verse 21 to 22, Isaiah says, Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. These men you're boasting in, 
are nothing compared to what is yours in Christ and in Christ who is God's. What is Paul? Paul is yours. Paulus is yours. Cephas is yours. The farm hands are yours. Get ready for what Paul says. He, he zooms out and he says, like, now look at this. The whole world is yours. Life is yours. Death is yours. The present, the future, they're all yours. What is Paul getting at? This is kind of a little bit confusing. He, he's talking about people, and then he goes all the way to all of these, these, these things that are so big. All of these things are, these non-people things are tyrannies of our existence. Things that wear us out. I mean, the world is groaning under the weight of sin and contamination, and it torments us in our imaginations, and we live with fear. We get anxious over all these things that exist in this world, but they all belong to you because you're a son or daughter of God. All these tyrannies, death, life, the present, the future, the anxieties are actually our birthright because of Christ. We're no longer slaves in this world. We're sons and daughters who inherit a new world to come. It's amazing. It's actually probably too big for us to even think about. Matthew 5, verse 5, Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are who are humble. For what? They shall inherit the earth. This is the glorious freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. The things that used to scare us in this, this world are no cause for panic anymore. Children of God are present and our future are in God's sovereign's hands and we have absolutely nothing to worry about. And so with the humility of the cross, why in the world would we boast about mere mortal men when God has promised us the world to come? If we can't see beyond the narrow scope of my ministry at the tabernacle or the tabernacle, our narrow vision is too narrow. God uses a variety of leaders to enrich His church, not to divide it. And Christians can learn from many good Christian leaders. I mean, there is radio, there is TV, there is books, there's magazines, there's blogs, there's conferences, there's all kinds of things, but ultimately it's for you, and if God uses these things to grow you, it's, it's something that's, that God's doing. Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be careful. We do have to be careful, and to the extent that leaders are scriptural and godly, they will help us unite ourselves to a body of believers. I shouldn't get jealous. No other elder should get jealous. 
of the spiritual blessings that are being poured out on His children. I really appreciate David Jeremiah, who every once in a while in the morning I can catch a little bit of some of it as I'm coming into the office. And, you know, he regularly encourages people to give to their congregation, their local congregation first. He encourages that you, while benefiting from his ministry, also participate regularly in congregational worship locally. That is so wise because it is so humble. He recognizes the value, and he's not pulling people to just simply abandon everything around them and just be a groupie for him. That is true wisdom. And so, Paul is saying that if there's these benefits to you, don't become so loyal in your allegiance that you forget Christ and God who is simply using these things to grow you. If the Corinthians had been careful to pattern themselves after the message of Paul and Apollos and Cephas and others, the the message of the cross, this church would not have been divided. And it's so easy to get caught up in loyalties and get caught up in a particular interpretive bent that, that distracts us from the cross. Alistair Begg, who I really appreciate in his ministry as well, some of you also listen to him, and I find myself so often agreeing with what he says that the plain things are the main things, and the main things are the plain things. And the main thing is Christ and Him crucified. And that's a pattern of humility which forms the basis for how we live as Christians. He must increase, and I must decrease. We pick up our cross daily, and we follow Him in that pattern. So now Paul is moving into the last stage of his argument. He's going to talk a little bit more directly about the role of apostleship and the servants and the particular challenges that servants would and leaders would have. But he's pausing here just for a moment to stress again just how important it is that we side with the humility of the cross because it's true wisdom. It's God's wisdom. And so just as we conclude our message here this morning, those, those three reasons Self-deception is so real and it's destructive. Don't get caught up in worldly wisdom because it's pride and God's going to outsmart you every time. And third, your narrow vision of life is maybe just too narrow. And so over the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at how, how God takes the cross and now applies it to leadership. And I'm just thankful for this moment. I'm, I'm thankful for this study in 1 Corinthians the work that it's doing in my heart. I hope it's doing something in your heart as well.